Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I want to talk to you about, we've been in the last few weeks talking about representing, representing Jesus. And I want to talk to you about a culture of love. I believe as we understand this in the right way, it's actually the key to us representing Jesus well. Last week I said this, that one of the greatest or the greatest actually privilege for us in this life is to represent Jesus to the world. The fact that God chose us to be his ambassadors is an incredible privilege. I believe this that the greatest key to representing Jesus is to love like Jesus. I believe if you lived in Jesus' day during his ministry on the earth, that you probably would have noticed that he cast out demons. You probably would have noticed that he healed the sick, that he was teaching a message that was totally counterculture and turning the world upside down, like your heart would begin to turn as he, as he spoke. But I, I believe the thing that would have captivated you, the one thing that you would have noticed above everything else is the love that he carried. I believe that's what drew people to him. There were those, yeah, they, they got excited about the miraculous. But I believe that the love of Jesus was the key to his ministry. And I believe that when we learn to love like Jesus, that is what changes the whole world. Go with me to John chapter 13. We're going to do this passage backwards, if that's all right. John 13, verse 34. It says this. These are Jesus' words. Um, just uh, probably uh, hours before he goes to the cross and he says this. He says, a new command I give you. In Jesus' day, people weren't giving new commands. You with me? Like, to give a new command, like if, if we read in in Hebrews 8, what we see is that when something new is given, it is an upgrade that outdates the old. And so it wasn't long before, probably within a year or two previously, Jesus had said this. Somebody asked him, what is the greatest of all of the law and the prophets? And he said, to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. But now Jesus, having already given that command, says a new command I give you. He's not saying that that old command is pointless, but what he's saying is there is a new command that outdates the old. It's kind of like our, our phones, right? Like as soon as you get a new phone, like as soon as a new one comes out, somehow the old one stops working as well, right? 
Like it just, for some reason, it just doesn't function as well. It's a little bit slower. It's a little bit like, it's just like, I've got to have the new one. I'm the guy actually that held on to the flip phone until you could hardly find them. But when Jesus says a new command, even though what he's about to say sounds a whole lot like the old, what he is actually saying is radically new. And I think it's crucial to life in Jesus It's crucial to representing Jesus that we get this. A new command I give you, love one another. Sounds like the old command. But then he goes on to say this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Until this day, until this season, they never had God in the flesh. And they had never experienced the love of God the way that Jesus represented and poured out the love of God. The old command started with the individual. This command starts with God. I love what 1 John says. It's not that we first love God, but it's that God first loved us. And a key to loving God, a key to loving each other, is not trying harder. How many of you have been there before, right? Where you're like, I know that I really, really, really need to love this guy at work. But I don't love him. Like, it's just not there. And as hard as I try, as much as I try to muster up love, somehow my tank of love, like, there's just nothing there. Have you been there? Maybe it's somebody in your family. Whatever it is, whoever it is, the problem is when we start with our love as being the source. What Jesus is saying is, love as I have loved you. So the key is having the right starting place. See, a a lot of us, we pick this up and and we have the wrong starting place. And it's, it's like those old MapQuest directions that say like, it's like the list of directions and it says, turn right here, turn left there, turn right there. If you don't have the right starting place, the directions don't do you any good, right? And I think we can hear the teachings of Jesus and the commands of Jesus, but if we don't have the right starting place, which is not our love for him, but it's actually his love for us, then we find ourselves really, really lost. I talk with people all the time who are, they're, they're, they're wrestling particularly with sin issues and they're trying harder to get out of them. And it seems as if they're digging a deeper hole, that they're actually not making any progress. And here, here's, here's the problem. This is what I found in my own journey is that try harder doesn't actually get you anywhere. It's actually receiving more that transforms you. And that my sin patterns are actually a revelation where I'm not receiving the love of God. You see, most of sin, 
is an illegitimate attempt to meet a legitimate need. Most of sin is an illegitimate attempt to meet a legitimate need. And so what happens is if we don't have the right source, then we start trying to meet the need on our own and we find ourselves in a hole that we just keep digging deeper into. I love what 1 John 3.10 says, here is how God's children can be clearly distinguished from the children of the evil one. Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. Let me go back to that word righteousness because I think that word can trip us up because it's often a religious word that's used to beat us up, right? Righteousness in the old covenant is this. It's right behavior that puts you in right relationship. So I follow the rules and now I'm in God's good graces. So often we can live in the new covenant but miss the new covenant. So often we can still approach God in this way that I have to do good to be in God's good graces. It kind of makes no sense of the idea of being in his grace, right? But so often we think that we can perform for God. That, that I can do more for him, that I can try harder to please him and somehow he's going to love me based on my behavior. But the key to life in Jesus is that it's not based on my performance, but based on his. And when Jesus accomplished everything for us at the cross, it put us in the place where we don't have to do anything except for receive. Here's how God's children can be clearly distinguished from the children of the evil one. Anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to fellow believers is not living with God as his source. How are you doing? How are you doing here? Are are you plugged into the source? Or are you trying to be your own source? You see, what religion does is it says, it even hears this message and says, I've got to try harder to plug into the source. Right? Like, okay, let me just make it happen. No. So often the best way best way to define faith is by surrender. So I give up. I'm going to stop trying to prove my worth by my action. I'm going to stop trying to please God with my good behavior. I'm going to stop trying to muster up love for my neighbor. Instead, I'm just going to surrender to God's love for me. I'm just going to give up. I give up, God. I'm done trying. I just surrender to your love for me. 
I'm gonna stop trying harder to break that bad habit. I'm gonna stop trying harder to fix this problem. And instead, I'm going to give up and allow God in. You see, so often we try to build our own little holy world so that God can somehow come and bless our holy world. But what God wants to do is enter into our messy world and bring his holiness by his Holy Spirit and bring order and peace to our world. There is nothing so wrong with you that God will run the other way. There is nothing that you've done so bad that God's going to be like, oh, I can't help that one. And so often we think, man, I don't know if I want to talk to God about that. I don't know if I want to bring that up before him as if he doesn't already know. It's like my kids. They like make a big mess and then they try to hide it. I'm like, who made this mess? Wasn't me. Like, yeah, right. It was one of the two of you. Right? Like, we, we try to hide from God. And we're just playing games in our own head. And we believe that somehow we have to get it all together for God. But instead, God's saying, let me into your mess. And so what he's saying here is, let me love you. How are you doing with letting God love you? Do you have a long list of reasons why he shouldn't? Would you surrender your list? I love this. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way that we love each other shows who our source is. The way that we love each other says to the world, the world sees it and says, that's a family I want to be a part of. Those guys are the biggest cheerleaders for each other. Those guys love each other no matter what. When those guys do things that would offend me to each other, instead of being offended, they forgive each other. Here's what happens when we embrace this idea, the law of the new covenant, which is love, is that it begins to create a culture. When we love like this, it begins to create a culture that transforms the world. You see, it's not simply about me being loved, but it's also about creating a culture where other people encounter the love of God. But we can only give what we've received. And so most of our struggle is not on the giving end, it's on the receiving end. Because we're not supposed to be the source, we're supposed to be the conduit. I, I've had 
an old house for quite a while. We, we sold it and moved out, thank God, because now we don't have plumbing issues. But, because I was the plumber. Um, but if water wasn't coming out of the pipe, I never blamed the pipe. Right? I was like, what's going on? Why is it not connected to the source? Is, is something turned off? Is there a break in the line down the line? And I think so often we beat ourselves up over our, over our inability to love instead of saying, hey, somebody just unplugged this thing. I just need to plug it back in. Like a, if you're using a power tool and, and you click it a few times and it's not working, then you, you look at the line and say, hey, is this plugged in? I think so often we try to make power tools work manually. It's like we're taking a circular saw and we're just trying to run it like this, not plugged in. We've got to stay plugged into the source. The greatest key to representing Jesus is to love like Jesus by being plugged into the source. Now go with me back just a little bit to cha- in chapter 13 to verses three through five. You see, I believe that when we begin to grasp what it means to live in this new covenant culture of love, that it changes the way that we see the world and our view of authority and power. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, better translation would say, into his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, so Jesus has this revelation that God has entrusted everything to him. What would happen if God entrusted everything to you? What would your response be? What would your response be if God entrusted $20 million to you? Here's Jesus' response. It says, and so he got up from the mill. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. Jesus, recognizing that he had all authority, stooped down to serve. What happens to us when we get put in places of authority, of influence, of power? Do we respond in the same way? Do we recognize this, that the influence, authority, and power we have is not for our own gain, for our own benefit, but is actually entrusted to us from God for the sake of others? We're experiencing this in an overwhelming way today in our political arena. If anybody is satisfied with what's going on 
in the political arena today, you need to come down for ministry right now. It's an absolute mess. And the problem is when we bring a power paradigm to a place of authority that was created for service. And it's not just in the political world. I've seen it in the church. It happens in business. It happens in homes. I had a a switch that went off in me when I recognized that my role as husband and as father was not to benefit myself, but was actually to lay down my life for the sake of my family, that they would prosper and thrive. My, my desire as pastor is not to make my own name great, but is actually to see a spiritual family that all steps into their destiny. But so often we approach authority and power for personal gain because we're not plugged into the source And so we're trying to use the position that we have in order to resource the lack that we're experiencing. Like we think if I had this position or that promotion, if I had this favor or influence, that power, then somehow I would now be complete. If they let me do this, then that would be like enough for me. The problem is not with your position. The problem is with your relationship to the source. And when your relationship to the source is in the right place, then when you're positioned in the place that God has always intended for you to be, you won't use it for personal gain, but for the benefit of others. What I would call that way of thinking is a power paradigm. It's this idea that whoever is the strongest, the smartest, the most talented, the most spiritually gifted, the most eloquent speaker, the, the best looking, whatever it is in that paradigm, they're the most, they have the most power, influence, and authority. And what that paradigm does is it misses the very heart of God that anoints specific people for specific purposes. And in that power paradigm, we operate this way. It's win-lose. It's like, I'm going to do whatever I can to be at the top, and it's going to probably cost somebody else. And so I'm okay with costing somebody else because it's a win-lose paradigm. It's an us-them paradigm. It's a strong, weak paradigm. It's a control and submission paradigm. I'm going to put them in line. I'm going to make them do what I want them to do because I've got the position of power. And in that paradigm, we live with this idea of the survival of the fittest. Anybody that doesn't make the cut is washed up on the sidelines. But when we understand that the kingdom of God comes with this love paradigm, It begins to change our relationship with power because we understand that power is actually for the benefit of others. Authority is for others. And we we begin to see things as win-win. We begin to operate with this idea of cooperation instead of control. 
We value empowering freedom and choice instead of forcing our agenda. You know this about love, that love always is a choice and always gives a choice. It's impossible for true love to strong arm anybody into anything. And so I can make rules that seem like love, that force people to do things against their will, that seem as if they would be compassionate on the other end, but it cannot cause love. Because love is a choice. And that choice is best made when you're plugged in to the source. Under this love paradigm, we use strength to serve, to support, to protect and empower. It's a high value for choice and for freedom instead of control. Go with me real quick to Luke 22. This is actually that same scene where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. But it captures it from another perspective. We'll pick up in verse 24, and it says, a, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was going to be considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercised authority over them called themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I among you, this is Jesus, and one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I, catch this, I confer on you a kingdom. Here's what Jesus is saying is, I'm giving away my kingdom, but here's how my kingdom operates. My kingdom operates with the greatest among you being the one who serves. What's your relationship with authority? What's your idea of authority? Is the influence you have about filling cracks in your life, about making yourself feel better? Or is it about laying down your life to serve others? You see, I believe this. When we take on an apostolic paradigm, we see the law of love is not only about what I receive, but it's actually about creating a kingdom culture everywhere that I have influence and authority. You see, I believe this, that if a principle is not just a churchy principle, but if it's actually a kingdom principle, then it works anywhere and everywhere. Does it mean that you walk into to work tomorrow and you say, hey, we're changing the culture. We've been having this power, power paradigm and, and now it's gonna change and become a, a love paradigm, like it or not. No. But instead, 
it starts by saying, I'm going to not make this about me, but I'm going to make this about serving others. Every bit of, of authority, every bit of influence I have, I'm going to spend it for the sake of others. You see, here's what happens when we come into relationship with God. We get both privilege and responsibility. And so often in the church, we, we focus on one or the other. But instead, when we recognize this, that our privilege is for the sake of serving our responsibility, it transforms the way that we live. But it all goes back to this question. What is your source? I believe this, that God wants to help you find him as your source. It doesn't start with try harder, it actually starts with surrender. And from that place, you can bring the culture of his kingdom everywhere you go. Would you stand? I want to pray for you, for us all, that whatever our idea of God's love for us is, that we would get an upgrade in what we receive. You just hold your hands out just in this posture to receive. Would you say something like this, your own words, God, I receive your love for me. I believe this, that he wants to right now just begin and it'll be in a personal way, just specific to you, but to whisper his love to you. Believe that God is breaking off performance. This idea that I have to prove myself to God. Maybe you are here and you've never experienced the love of God. You've never said yes to Jesus. Jesus, I recognize that you love me so much that you went to the cross, so much that you died to cover my sin and forgive me, that you rose from the, the dead to give me life. And I just want to offer you the opportunity to respond to that. Our, our, our prayer team's going to be up front and they're going to be wearing masks just to, to honor you. Um, and they'd love to pray with you probably also some people here where you know like you've said yes to Jesus but you just have not had breakthrough in receiving his love and I believe that God wants to pour out his love on you in a way that marks your life forever last week I think it was actually all during the first service we had 
what we call a word of knowledge where it's like God inspires a thought that people's shoulders were going to be healed and we saw three different people with all with their right shoulder healed and I, I believe this that it's not just about uh, a specific word but I believe that the spirit of God is present to heal and so if you have pain or sickness maybe it's even a, a chronic issue I believe today is a really good day to get healed and so our ministry team would love to pray for you Jesus we love you we thank you that you're with us we thank you that you love to pour yourself out for our sake in Jesus name Amen.